For Vermont Digger, I'm Mike Doherty. This is The Deeper Dig. Today is Friday, June 22nd. As the budget standoff in Montpelier reaches into the summer, a common refrain among analysts is that it's the closest Vermont has come to a government shutdown since 1961. That year, the legislative session lasted a record 210 days as a rookie governor faced off with a combative Senate leader. One expert says the dynamics that year were muted compared to today. It was not as dramatic, at least in my memory, that issue in 1961. It was not the hot issue. This is Stephen Terry, a longtime Vermont journalist. I was a statehouse reporter starting in 1965 for the Vermont Press Bureau. Stephen went on to edit the Rutland Herald. He also co-wrote a book about Governor Phil Hoff and state politics in the 1960s. Even though I was in college still when Governor Hoff was elected in 1962, I have uh, spent some time understanding what happened in the years when F.R.A. Kieser Jr. was governor, and then how that led to much of what happened in the election of 1962. It was a um, time when you could sense there was a change that was happening in Vermont. Stephen said that to understand the 1961 legislative session, you have to understand Governor F. Ray Kieser. He was, at the time of his death, uh, I think former Governor Jim Douglas described F. Ray Kieser as the, quote, boy wonder of politics hmm. in Vermont. He was a young lawyer from Chelsea, but he had been a young member of the legislature starting in the mid-50s. He was elected Speaker of the House at a very young age. And in the fall of 1960, Efrain Kieser was the next logical candidate for governor. Kieser is elected. At the time, the Vermont legislature is almost all Republican, but the Republican Party has a very diverse group of members, and it's basically liberal-moderate versus more conservatives. The liberal-moderate wing was called the Aiken-Gibson wing, and the conservative wing was called the Proctor wing. Here's how Kieser himself described those divisions. This is from a 1989 interview with journalist Chris Graff on Vermont PBS. Those in the Republican Party who would or would not support others in the party depending on which side of the wing. And most candidates for governor particularly in the future attempted to disassociate themselves from, from either party, from either side, if you will, of the party. Uh, that was true of Bob Stafford. It was true of myself. However, if you'd had prior associations or your family had, there were some long memories. It was viewed at the time, even though he was a very young person, the youngest person ever elected governor in Vermont, that Efrain Kieser Jr. was much more linked to the conservative wing of the party. 
the Proctors. The Proctor wing. And even though he claimed he was not, it was also a legislature in 1961 where there were a number of issues, as I recall, that was causing internal strife. What were some of those issues? Well, it had to do, for instance, Governor Kieser had a proposal to lease or sell what was now Linden State College. That caused a tremendous split between the Republicans in the Northeast Kingdom with Kieser. So that was one issue. There was an issue involving the proposed abandonment of portions of the Rutland Railroad. Hmm. The Rutland Railroad was a privately held railroad. It was having intense labor issues with the rail workers. And the owner of the railroad, a man named William Ginsburg, filed a petition of abandonment. Kieser and his administration tried to figure out how to keep the railroad in service, but it concluded the only way it could do that was to support the abandonment. It was imperative that we got some kind of rail service as soon as possible. Uh, And this was the only mechanism that we had available to accomplish that. So he had this incredible political problem, as you can imagine. He would argue that he was trying to save the railroad, but yet he was supporting abandonment. That was a very frustrating experience. Nobody in, in the heat of it was really interested in what we were trying to do in the politics of the matter. And, and what the comments in the paper came out was we were in favor of abandonment. Absolutely true. Why? In order to restore rail service. And it was, a, it was almost impossible, we found, to connect being in favor of abandonment of railroad with connecting it with having rail service. So those messages never gelled, and it was totally confusing, and it really split members in the legislature. Beyond those two regional issues, Stevens said there were disputes about state finances, but they weren't as prominent as the ones we're seeing today. I think there were some spending issues because the Governor Keyser did propose an increase in state spending, but he was also one who said he, he would do it without raising taxes. That, as I recall, was not as much of the dynamic issue as there was a personality issue in the legislature. The very powerful senator from Rutland County called Asa Bloomer, who was a veteran legislator, former speaker of the Vermont House, then a really prominent member of the upper chamber, simply did not like Ray Keezer. (laughs) Although Asa Bloomer was a very crafty politician, and it would be hard to ever pin on him that he was really opposing Kieser. 
he used his skills, parliamentary skills, legislative skills, to really make life difficult for the Kieser administration. I have a lot of respect for Ace. He was a terrific leader. He had this had this quirk, if you will, that if you weren't on his side as he perceived it, whether you were or not, he could be very vindictive. He didn't openly criticize me as he had some other governors in the past, but he worked underneath in, a, in attempting to uh, discredit or to, or to defeat programs which were being advanced by me. The result is that the legislature that year did not adjourn until August 1. That meant that in order to have money for the new fiscal year that started in uh, July 1, they had to, in effect, extend the current budget for one month. So there was no controversy over a potential shutdown because it, they more or less worked out that it wouldn't happen that way. The legislature had kind of decided ahead of time that they were going to have an extended session that year. I think then, like now, there was no desire to have the government shut down. But um, remember, this was all people of the same party. So they worked out among themselves that there wouldn't be a shutdown, but they would give themselves extra time, in this case a month, to resolve what were the outstanding issues. And there were, as I mentioned, a number of them. I can't imagine Kieser was very happy with that decision. Not at all. He had a lot of support in the Vermont House because he was a former House Speaker. That year, when Kieser was elected, there also elected 145 or six new House members, mostly Republicans. So it was a group that was also learning the job, a lot of them. And then the older leaders especially led by Senator Bloomer in the state Senate, were, shall we say, dragging their feet. They weren't making it easy for Governor Kieser because of Senator Bloomer's personality issue. They kind of said, well, we'll just extend our time here a little bit and make sure we've got resources to keep government open. I mean, when they did it then... You know, obviously you said Kieser wasn't very happy about it, but was there controversy about doing that publicly? My memory is that that was not a hot-button issue. There was more focus on the inter-nursing warfare within the Republican Party and uh, the troubles this young, newly elected governor was having with his own party. And it's interesting, I mean, this week... I don't know if you saw, we've at this point had a member of the administration say that the media is gobbling up and amplifying the threat of a government shutdown, you know, and that that's having an effect on the public perception. And so I'm very curious as to how that was well, portrayed then. Well, the truth of the matter is 
it is only, in my judgment, it's only in the recent week or so have I heard my neighbors and other people who don't follow politics closely start to be concerned that this kind of action may happen in Vermont. And we may be now much more like uh, Washington than we always have been like Montpelier. I know that both sides don't want a shutdown, but that narrative is starting to take hold and it marks a different kind of Vermont. And it's not the Vermont that broadly uh, people expect or want. Do you think there's validity to that narrative, though, that things are trending in that direction? I think it's much more partisan. Absolutely. I do. It is unusual to have one side at the end of the day just not move or negotiate. That's what's different right now. I mean, we've never had two budget vetoes. This kind of hard-nosed standoff is something that's still not the usual way the Vermont legislature has resolved its issues. In the example of 61, even at the end of that extended session, they adjourned. And, and you know, there wasn't really a standoff over budget and tax no. issues, as you said. No. no. Do you think that what we're seeing now is in a way worse than the conflict between well, Kieser and it's, Bloomer? It's it's different. And Vermont is different. Now we have pretty dug-in positions between political parties. Then there was only one, and all of the warfare was within the factions of that political party, but it was all one. Hmm. So it was not as dramatic. I mean, you didn't have Asa Bloomer holding press conferences, but you had him working very skillfully in the chamber and behind the scenes. It was just a different time. In 1961, the legislature finally adjourned on August 1st. Just a few months later, preparations began for the 1962 election. Phil Hoff is then a young, first-term Burlington House member. He announces for governor in February 1962. And, you know, he runs a long campaign, but... The issues of what Governor Kieser proposed in the Northeast Kingdom with Linden College comes back to haunt Kieser because W. Arthur Simpson, a prominent Republican, would not support Kieser, so he lost that constituency. And then there was a special session in 1962 to deal with reapportionment of the state upper chamber. Governor Kieser proposed taking a seat from Rutland County and adding it to Chittenden County. And that was the event that caused Senator Bloomer to really become an avowed opponent of Governor Kieser. And he did not support 
Governor Kieser for his re-election. Kieser was already on his bad side. He was already on his bad side, and this was the coup de grace that just absolutely sealed, in many ways, uh, F. Ray Kieser's fate. But that wasn't the only issue. There were two other prominent Republicans in southern Vermont, T. Gary Buckley and A. Luke Crisp, who were involved and wanted a Vermont business to run the new racetrack in Pownall, Vermont. The governor, Kieser, based on a recommendation, I think, of then the state racing board, designated a Rhode Island company to run the racetrack. That caused another split in the Republican Party, and T. Gary Buckley and Luke Chris form the Vermont Independent Party. So Republicans who didn't quite want to put their vote on the Democratic line for Phil Hoff could vote this other party. This was a a close election. It was. Hoff won by 50.06% of the vote. And uh, it was about 3,000 votes at the end of the day. If you didn't count any of these independent votes... F. Ray Kieser had basically a four to 5,000 vote lead before these other votes were counted. So the independent vote is what puts Governor Hoff over and becomes the first elected Democratic governor in Vermont and the first one since 1853. I was a college student watching it, and he is in an open convertible with this crown on his head, and he's saying over and over, 100 years of bondage broken. There was one other shade of contemporary politics at play. Kieser and Hoff entered into a fight over the accounting of a budget surplus. Right near the end of the 62 campaign, like in late October, Governor Kieser declared the state had a surplus. Candidate Hoff said no, that was not true. And there became, in the last two weeks of the campaign, this incredible argument over how the accounting was done. What Hoff was saying was simply this, that if you took into account accounts payable, you would have had money that you owed more than 900000 What he did not say, which was a complete and absolute fabrication in what he drew for a conclusion, and he knew it, was that you also, if you're going to do that, you've got to include the income you would have received afterwards. If you had done that, you would come out with the same thing, a surplus. There was, in fact, a surplus. What happened, the kind of the deciding factor, is the then longtime Republican auditor of accounts, a gentleman by the name of David Anderson, sided with Hoff. He argued that Hoff's 
description of the fiscal condition was the most accurate. So I called Dave and I said to him, Dave, I said, you know that in accrual accounting you've got to put the income in too, not just the expense. He says, that's right. I said, if you do that, is there a surplus? And he said, yes. I said, will you say that? He said, no. There was a history there, another one of these personality issues that Anderson did not like a proposal that Kieser made to restructure uh, government, and it took away some of Anderson's accounting duties. Mm. Now, none of that was ever proved, but it was just another indication that almost everything that Kieser tried to do ran into opposition of one segment or another of his own party. This is when Vermont, like the rest of the nation, I mean, Phil Hoff is a JFK-like candidate. And, of course, that whole new way of uh, thinking as far as what government ought to do becomes a very intoxicating feeling in Vermont, and Phil Hoff would constantly remind Vermont voters that while Kieser was a young man, he was really very old in his views, and this was not what Vermont needed in its its future. I was campaigning in Bennington, and this uh, gal, I met her on the street and said hello, uh, and she said, you know, you've done a good job as governor, but it's time for a change. And uh, <laughs> what are you doing? You're 35, and somebody says that to you. I was, uh, you know, I was 104 years old in that campaign. <laughs> <laughs> you said when we started talking that at that time you could kind of sense a change. Well, Vermont was starting, and you know, maybe it was because of my perspective as you know a college student that was watching big changes in Vermont. I mean, it felt that the economy was there's more opportunity. It felt like there was a sense that the immediate future would be very different than the immediate past. And there was, because you were in the era of JFK, there was that kind of enthusiasm and younger people were getting interested in politics. I mean, there was a lot of college students the night that Phil Hoff got elected in the streets of Winooski. I mean, it seems like we are, at least in terms of national politics right now, we're in a very unusual moment and there's a a kind of new wave of people who are inspired to get involved. Do you think that here at the state level there's any similar sense that there's some kind of change on the horizon? Oh, I think, I think, yes, I think we're going to see more women candidates. I think we're going to see more people interested in running for the Vermont legislature. I think we are at the point it seems to me with all the retirements or of the older experience chairs that we're in a time where people are really becoming focused again that if they want to make change in the way their government runs, they have to be involved, they have to run, and um, they have to basically now do with the legislature what happened maybe 20, 
30 years ago, when new Vermonters came to Vermont, they started to be focused on running for school boards, want to serve on local planning commissions, and now uh, I see now wanting to take the next step if they can. And what might the effect of that be? I don't know what the impact will be. Will it make us less partisan or more? I, I don't know yet. I think that we should not underestimate the value of what happened in the 60s and the 70s when people were concerned and wanted to plan for their future. I mean, that was a growing sense of the way people needed to be involved in helping Vermont for its next uh, generations. That spirit is still here pretty strong. And um, what we don't want to have happen is that that gets squelched or it gets denigrated by partisanship in our government. It does not happen at the local level, Mm -hmm. nor does it happen generally at the select board level. But it is sure happening in the state house. Speaking personally, I'm hoping that does not become the norm in Vermont. Thanks, Steve, for taking the time to chat. I really appreciate it. Okay, Mike. Glad to. You can find full coverage of the current special session here in 2018 at vtdigger.org. Stephen Terry's book is called Philip Hoff, How Red Turned Blue in the Green Mountain State. Thanks also to Vermont PBS for audio of Governor Ray Keezer. Those clips were from a 1989 series called The Governors, hosted by journalist Chris Graff. You can find the full series at vermontpbs.org. The Deeper Dig comes out every week. Search for it and subscribe wherever you listen to podcasts. We'll be back next week with more stories from the Digger Newsroom. Have a nice weekend.